Thank you very much. I thank you particularly you for your invitation. And I'm very happy of being here because <coughs> I think that um, looking for um, a new direction like that represented by PEMSECISM is extremely important, especially for people that come from a, a different field like myself, which is some computer science or artificial intelligence, because we really need to uh, look in a different way to what is information, what is representation, and all this uh, very uh, troublesome issue which have not been addressed properly up to now. Uh, I, I would like to say something before uh, getting into the details of my presentation. Uh, up to now, I had the feeling that most PEM psychists are looking uh, physically inside of the organism. They're looking at the intrinsic properties, maybe of atoms, maybe of electrons, maybe of neurons, but something which is intuitively, in a very loose way, uh, inside of the organism. Uh, here, I will try to provide a different perspective on PEM psychism. Uh, instead of looking uh, inside of the organism, I would like to flesh out a different framework where um, uh, the physical substratus of phenomenal experience of the subject is not located inside uh, the organism, but is in a way uh, partially external to the organism. And still it is a kind of panpsychism, or rather, uh, as I would like to uh, explain, a kind of uh, uh, neutral monism, Insofar as I will try to show that the physical world can have the resources to ad address uh, uh, most, if not all, the properties that we usually attribute to uh, a phenomenal experience. As long as we conceive the physical world in, 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 in a different way from what it is usually done. So, uh, this is just <coughs> a brief introduction. Well, I, I would like to point out some uh, common uh, assumption, uh, sorry, I start from that I think are shared by many people here. First of all, I also do agree that experience is real and also that physical world is real too. So I, I, I'm trying to, and also about the fact that has been stressed by many that maybe in our own conscious experience we are as close as we can get to the physical world. My question is, uh, is it really necessary to start from a, a, a description of the physical world that rules out the phenomenal experience? Or maybe the physical world can be conceived in such a way that it has the right properties of our phenomenal experience, or put in a different way. Uh, is it possible to provide a, a, a model of uh, reality which doesn't make the distinction between phenomenal experience and physical world so compelling as it usually seems to be? And that's exactly what I, I will try to do. And, and uh, just to give you the gist of my uh, suggestion from the start, I will try to, to propose as a building block uh, of this view uh, the notion of processes. And I will, of course, I mean, processes is also a very vague word. I, I would like to be a little bit more precise in the following. But basically, my suggestion is that we, we could perhaps find the right building block out of which uh, what we call physical world and what we call phenomenal experience can both be uh, derived, not as two separate things or, and uh, not even as two aspects which are there from the beginning, but just as two ways we have to describe 
the unfolding of reality. And I think that this kind of uh, uh, approach could be labeled as a neutral monist view of reality. Well, what are the critical features of phenomenal experience that we usually are unable to put into the physical world? What many uh, different features can be uh, listed. Uh, I will mention the four features that I think are the most critical one. Unity, representation, which can be um, um, also um, related with intentionality and semantics. Uh, what I call perspectivalness, which is basically uh, the fact that our phenomenal experience is usually as, um, uh, ha sorry, that usually has a first-person perspective. It has a perspective of, of some kind and quality. It is commonly held that physical world doesn't have these features. But I, 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 I will try to show that maybe it's not so true and that indeed there are certain physical processes that seem to have perspectivalness, unity and so on. Uh, I, I, would, uh, I would just like to add uh, something about the notion of unity. I mean, here we've been talking a lot about the combination problem in, in the field of phenomenal uh, uh, experience or experience in general. Uh, and it is interesting, uh, as it has been stressed by many, that uh, uh, we have a similar problem into the metaphysical domain that is usually the meteorological problem. How do we get from parts to... Uh, um, holes, but we also have the same problem in neuroscience, where it is called the binding problem. How do we put together different neural processes into just uh, one larger neural process that is over-encompassing all the neural activity taking place in the brain? So, to me, the fact that the same problem is presenting uh, more or less in the same way into many different fields shows that maybe these fields have a common roots, have a common root. But this is just, you know, uh, my, my feeling about that. So, let me also say, uh, make uh, uh, another um, historical and general uh, statement, not statement, I mean consideration. Um, uh, it is usually held that, uh, well, well not, not probably by you, but in, in, the, in, in the, some naive literature, that uh, dualism started when people created the, the phenomenal mind, when people like Descartes created the phenomenal mind. But symmetrically, the creation of the phenomenal mind uh, was due to the fact that uh, in uh, the same period, people created the quality-less, the quality-free uh, physical world. People like Galileo created the, um, suggested that the physical world is indeed devoid of qualities, is indeed the void of unity and representation and all of the uh, relevant features that we attribute to our own experience. And because of that, pe people like Descartes afterward were compelled to suggest the existence of something like the, uh, the, the uh, phenomenal mind in, in the modern sense. Now, I'm, I'm speaking with no pretense of being historically uh, correct. I'm just suggesting that the creation of the, the, the um, pure quantitative and platonic physical world, and pure mathematical physical world, was the premise to the creation of the phenomenal mind, of an experience which was uh, uh, the place where conceptually many properties were located. So, uh, 
And this is the famous passage from Galileo that all of you know where he's just suggesting that smells, sounds, tastes, and so on are, uh, exist only in, in, uh, in, the, in, in the living body of, of the animals and they are nothing in, into the external world. So suggesting that the world is something completely different from our own experience. But this idea, I mean, that afterward had been used in many different fields, I mean, from neuroscience, I, I don't want to spend too much time into these details. It's not, I, I, I claim here, it's not probably, uh, well, it's not probably, it could not be true. So, let me uh, show you, I apologize, because this is my favorite example, and I'm repeating over and over again, but n uh, until now, I haven't found uh, any good reason to drop this example. So, I apologize for all of you who are already familiar with it, because I am repeating that many, many times. Uh, so, uh, at the very beginning, I said that maybe the, rea the real world uh, is not so um, um, devoid of the relevant features that we attribute to our own experience. So, I am suggesting you a physical process that has at least some of the critical features that we usually attribute to experience. And this phenomenon is the rainbow. Uh, I mean, the rainbow has a unique relation with the causal relation with the observer, with the beholder. Uh, the reason is that um, in we cannot have a rainbow, we cannot define physically a rainbow without defining its own particular observer. There's no way to, to make uh, such, um, to, 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 let's say, to locate a, 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 a particular rainbow without uh, also uh, providing a, a particular observer. That's the reason why we cannot sidestep a rainbow, we cannot pass underneath an arch of a rainbow, uh, and in any way we seem to be bound with the rainbow itself. It seems to be natural unity. If we move, the rainbow is going to move together with us. If we change our position, the rainbow is going to change its own position. And it's not just a matter of uh, mm, geometrical or optical relationship. Because what is taking place there is a real temporal and causal process taking place in time and having a, a, a defined a causal, a causal relation between what is taking place. Um, furthermore, what it is interesting is that the rainbow is private. What I mean by the fact that the rainbow is private? I mean a very simple consideration that we cannot share a rainbow. Two people cannot share a rainbow. Not even God can share a rainbow with me. Because the particular rainbow that I see is the rainbow is that unique combination of uh, drops of water that I single out of a cloud because I am in a given position in space. So it's a particular physical process. And uh, if there were another observer, the other observer would be in a different position in space and he would, he would uh, uh, perceive a different rainbow because he would see a different uh, collection of drops of water. So this is just to express with, with a diagram what I mean. I mean, one observer is seeing this rainbow, and another observer would see another rainbow, and so on. Each observer is singling out a different collection of drops of water. But, as I said at the beginning, it's not just a, a, an optical uh, selection. 
uh, as it is usually described into textbooks. I think that textbooks are very misleading when they describe what is taking place in the rainbow because it seems to reduce everything to a geometrical and static relation between things that are taking place. What is actually um, occurring is that there's a process in time. So if you look at it more carefully, from a temporal point of view, we can uh, observe that until the light rays coming from uh, a cloud doesn't get in contact with an observer, there's no such a thing as a rainbow. Because what we mean by a rainbow is that particular arch which is producing an effect as a whole. And now the notion of whole gets into the picture of what I'm talking about. But if there were no observer at the end of the light rays, there would be no physical hole because the light rays would not interact together. They would not produce any effect as a whole. And each drop of water in the cloud would be just reflecting all colors. And so there would be, it, it would be completely meaningless to refer to a rainbow. But if there is an observer, what is actually taking place is that all those drops of water that doesn't have anything in common until that moment, that final moment when the light rays get in contact with the beholder. Uh, at that very moment, I said, we have a rainbow. So in a way, the existence of the rainbow in the cloud seems to be dependent of the fact of being able to produce an effect afterwards, which is absurd in a way, because we would put a, a, a condition of existence between two events and the, 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 um, the the relevant event would happen afterwards. But it is no longer so absurd as long as we conceive the whole process not as made of two separate events, but as made by a natural processual unity which span in time and space, which spreads itself in time and space. So basically what I am suggesting is to consider such processes as a case in which uh, reality gets, um, uh, in a way, composed into natural unities, which are, at the same time, our own experience of the world and the world we have an experience of, the two being different ways to describe the same uh, unfolding of reality into processes, not being two different things. And. Uh, of course, this is also a kind of neutral monism, because I'm not suggesting that here there's an emergent property which was not there, and that because of certain complex activity taking place in the brain, it's going to produce the, the, the uh, emergence of some kind of new property. I'm suggesting that the, this kind of processes by itself, it has already most, if not all, of the properties that we attribute both to the physical reality as well as to phenomenal experience. In particular, I would like to stress the uh, perspectivalness, the fact that it has natural uh, perspectivalness because it, it is not a cloud from the God's point of view, but sorry, it's not a rainbow from the God's point of view, but it is a rainbow from a particular beholder's point of view. And uh, uh, also the fact that uh, it is uh, sort of carving out a piece of uh, reality out of this uh, space-time continuum, and it is defining an entity, a whole, which is the rainbow, which was not there before. So I like to quote also, I also like very much to quote Whitehead, the many 
uh, becomes one and they are added by, by one. And I think that in this case, I mean, the many, the ultimates, which were the drops of water and the smaller processes are indeed uh, um, um, added by one because there's a process, a process which was not necessarily there because if, the, if at the very last minute someone would have, uh, you know, removed the observer, this is what would have happened. So it's really something new that is coming into existence because of a certain uh, causal relation taking place into, into the environment. So this is the general um, insight I would like to, to start from, that maybe we can start with a, a picture of reality which is not made of ultimates like particles, uh, like billiard balls or uh, neurons or uh, in, in any sense located physical uh, entities, but rather is made by uh, physical processes which are spread in time and in space, as it is the case with all physical processes. All physical processes from a light ray to an, a train of neural spikes are naturally spread in time and space. This is not something that should surprise anybody. And so instead of looking inside of the, the, the brain for, uh, let's say, intrinsic properties, I suggest to look at a different uh, physical uh, starting block, which is kind of uh, over-encompassing a, a, a larger set of um, physical events. And I, my, my, my hunch that maybe we can extend this view to everything we are aware of, from uh, faces to rainbows to sounds to anything we see. It is something that because of the physical structure that it is embedded in our body is able to produce effects. So, for example, take a face. If there were no fusiform gyruses, neural uh, structures capable of picking up what we call a face from the environment and allowing uh, such uh, a complex uh, uh, features uh, to, to produce effects, would faces still be there? I would argue against it. And I, I would rest on uh, what um, Kim calls the Alexander dictum, that to be is to produce effect. And uh, I mean, it has been, a similar notion has been mentioned by many, but... Uh, uh, and um, why we should... We should uh, uh, go for such a, a, a framework. Well, uh, it could have many advantages. For example, it could get rid of the problem of representation because we would have no more the representation of something which is elsewhere because we would have just identity. Whenever I would have a, a phenomenal experience of the world, it would be just because the world it, it would be part of myself. And, but the world would not be there without me being, the, the world I have an experience of would not be there unless I would be able to interact with it. And um, it, it has a series of advantages, but let me, um, let's say, uh, dig a little bit more into the problem of um, objects and reality. We usually assume that reality is made of objects or particles or in, in any way uh, kind of separate and autonomous entities. 
And then we have all kinds of different ontology. We have unrestricted composition, no composition at all, or restricted composition. Usually, unrestricted composition is more uh, popular between the philosopher because it seems, uh, in a way, logically more uh, appealing. So every possible combination of entities, of symbols, is uh, a whole in its own um, uh, value. Or we can go for the opposite view. There's no composition at all, so there are just symbols. Or we can maybe go for a sticky composition, but no one has been able up to now to suggest a criterion, a working criterion. So in the end, uh, usually people um, don't like it. But what I am suggesting is that as a possible criterion for composition of object, but also of uh, experiences, there could be the fact that they become able to be the joint cause of an effect. And this, I think, in the case of, so I, I just here emphasize the notion of uh, the temporal, um, let's say, aspect of a whole. So instead of trying to justify the existence of wholes, of unities, in their own respect, I am suggesting that a whole becomes a whole because some other system allows that collection of simples to act as a whole. Uh, it could seem circular, but may maybe it's just the, the way I, I am uh, referring to it. Basically, uh, if you go back to the example of the rainbow, I think that you can see that from that example that there's no circularity involved because the, the, there's no necessity on the side of the beholder to be there to allow those drops of water to act as a whole. It's just a contingent fact that a whole takes place as a whole. And so I am suggesting that the same uh, uh, framework which I suggested in the case of the perception of the rainbow, but also of the taking place of the rainbow, this is something that I want to stress again and again, because there's no rainbow outside of the perception of it, and there's no perception of, of the rainbow without, it's not an hallucination, it's just something that I, I see in my mind, but which is not there. It is something which is there, but it, which is at the same time my own experience of it. So I'm uh, suggesting that the same framework could be used not just for perceptual uh, situation like that of the rainbow, but also for um, addressing ontological issue like the existence of holes. And uh, I mean, and different beholder, of course, can. I also want to put a quotation by William James, um, uh, and, and different observer because they have. Because they are made differently in a from a physical point of view, they can carve out in a different way reality. But that doesn't mean that that reality is just a mental reality. It means that something different is taking place because of the existence of the body, uh, of the bodies of the beholders. And so we can try to see whether such an approach can be applied to many different. Situation. I, I, I like uh, maybe probably uh, some some of you have already seen this example of mine, which is another one of my favorite one. Uh, do you think that there's? A, let's skip the fact that it does. It is just a projection. Let's suppose that it is painted on the wall. If I would ask you, is there a cross on the wall? I would assume that most of you would say yes. There's a. Of course, there's a cross. We can see it. If I would ask you, is there a cross there? Well, that could be a little bit more difficult, but if you look at that in, in a short while, you would see that there are different characters along the main uh, row and main column. So 
that could be seen as a cross too. I mean, here we have a different in the level of gray, and there we have a different in the patterns. But conceptually, there's not such a big difference. Now I could ask you, is there a cross here? And you can take a little bit more, but in, in a short while you will see that, well, yes, of course there's a cross. I mean, these are prime numbers, and these are different. So the point is that, in principle, you can always find out a good criterion to, to single out a part of reality. But in practice, so not from a logical point of view, but in practice, there's a difference between these three things on the wall. The these three collection of things, this is a collection of gray patches, this is a collection of pattern, the, the last one is a collection of uh, pattern with a semantic value, uh, and so on. But the difference, the, the biggest difference from, uh, uh, let's say, a, a causal point of view is the fact that because of our brain as physical um, structures, this cross is able immediately to be the joint cause of an effect in the room. Well, this one, is, it does the same but with some more difficulties and the last one uh, requires even more cooperation on our side. And for example, we could easily train animals to, to uh, allow this cross to be the, the, the cause of perception, but very few animals could be able to, to detect this cross, and no animals could be able to do the trick for the last one. On the other hand, we could build an artificial system like a robot, and we could provide that system with some kind of artificial retina, with some kind of uh, pattern recognition system, and which could be somehow artificially designed in such a way as to be able to immediately see prime numbers on walls like uh, uh, bright uh, spots. And that uh, hypothetical artificial being would see the last cross very easily and maybe for some defect in its uh, structure could have problem in seeing the other, the, the first cross. So what I'm trying to say is that the existence of the process is not in practice is depending on the kind of beholder and also on the kind of, uh, um, uh, let's say, uh, and also on the physical system with which that collection of simple is going to get in, in relation with. So I'm trying to, to provide you with a, a hunch that maybe objects are just processes taking place and so here I'm just dwelling on, on the same uh, notion that uh, this idea that objects or reality is there and that such a reality has no quality, has no perspectivalness, maybe is not supported by our <coughs> own experience of the world. And so we could take into consideration a different conceptual framework of reality uh, where the building block is the process. I will make one last example. I mean, a, an entity, a physical entity of any kind, could be, how could it be defined? One way to define it could be to see it as a list of uh, causal powers or causal properties. But are those causal properties intrinsic to the tree, to the object, or not? Well, I would argue here that causal properties are not intrinsic to the to any entity insofar as causal property cannot be predicted by, the, by anything that entity has by itself. So, for example, take a tree. What are the, the causal powers of that tree? Well, they are casting a shadow, releasing chemical, absorbing water, waiting, 
uh, all kinds of them. But as long as another physical system, I'm not putting any kind of uh, uh, phenomenal or mental attribute. It's just a physical system. It's just a physical system made of uh, uh, cells, made of uh, neurons, and so on. But as long as a, a new physical system gets in contact with the original object, we have a new causal powers on the object's side. Because the object becomes able to produce uh, an effect in a way that was completely unexpected. Maybe the shape of the tree is made in such a way that this little root here is able to be perceived as, uh, in a way, symmetrical and aesthetically appealing with respect to some small leaves uh, up there. Like when we look at the face, I mean, we are putting together different features which are by themselves completely unrelated. But because of our own way of putting together, we allow them to produce an effect altogether. Things about when you look at the landscape. Maybe you are putting together physical events which are very far away from each other. And if you, wouldn't, if you would not have been there as an observer, they would have never produced an effect together. So, I mean, this is just to get closer to the conclusion, so I'm just recapping what, what I said. So I'm suggesting that the physical reality could be different from a few a standard um, um, description of it. And a physical reality made by processes could have many, if not all, of the relevant properties that we attribute to experience of physical reality, of objects. So in the same way, our experience is taking place in time. But I am suggesting that objects, too, are taking place in time. That our experiences are spread in time and space. But I am suggesting that the physical world, too, is spread in time and space. That our experience has first-person perspective. But I am suggesting that objects, too, like rainbow, like uh, anything we have an experience of, it has a perspective because it takes place as part of a process, and any process has a perspective. So uh, I, I don't want to get too much into, into this. I, I would like just to uh, stress uh, a few possible uh, points, uh, a few possible advantages of this framework. Well, I mentioned it before the issue of representation. If this approach could have some merit, we could get rid of the, there would be no more the problem of representation. Because we could, instead of talking of representation, we could talk of presentation. The world would present itself. And it would present itself exactly as it is. We would not need to have, let's say, a, a quantitative and quality-free description of the physical world and then a, a, um, a phenomenally uh, colored and filled with quality uh, experience of it. Um, and how can we then explain, let's say, our experience of the world? Well, it would be a matter of being the world. It would be a matter of not being identical with anything taking place inside of the body, but rather would be uh, to be identical with, the, let's say, that part of the world which we have an experience of which could seem uh, maybe uh, uh, implausible or controversial, but it, it, from a, um, an existential point of view, from a phenomenal point of view, it doesn't really contradict with our own experience. 
And, well, I, I, I said a lot also about unity. I'm just recapping the, the main point of uh, this talk. So unity also could be uh, provided a, a different explanation. And let me get to the final issue that has to be addressed every time I, I present this framework. Uh, I mean, you could say, well, this could be acceptable when we have something in front of us. But what about when we don't have anything in front of us with which to be continuous? In other words, when I see a glass, I could maybe, or I see the rainbow, you could say, well, you are in front of the, of the rainbow. That's, between quotes, easy with your model. But what about if you're dreaming a rainbow? Or if you're thinking about, um, um, uh, you're dreaming about the pink flying elephant? never saw a pink, uh, there's no pink uh, flying elephant. So how can you be continuous with that? How can you be that? That's, uh, or generally speaking, the problem of error in representation. How can you explain that you make an error in representation? And my answer to this problem, which is apparently the death of all theories of direct perception, is that um, uh, what we call our physical environment is not necessarily our synchronic physical uh, environment. It's not necessarily what is taking place exactly at the same moment in which my neural activity is taking place. After all, this is not true, even in normal perception. Even in normal perception, between the external object and my neural activity, there is some delay. How much? Not a lot. 200 milliseconds, 300 milliseconds. It depends mostly not by the time taken by the light ray, but by the time, of course, taken by the neural activity. But still, there's a delay. So in principle, what I see could not be there any longer. This is a trick that is played by many computer systems that are moving what I, uh, what I see so far. They, they detect the position of my eye. They're able to move it in the time that is taken to my conscious experience to be uh, uh, produced by the brain. So th this is a word. Okay. So in principle, in even in normal perception, what I see is the past. My experience of the world is an experience of the past. So I am suggesting that the everyday experience is already in the best possible condition, an experience of something which is no more. Because uh, as I said, these physical processes take time. So why don't we assume that physical processes could be even longer, could be, in a way, could be spread themselves in, in a longer time span. Because there's no uh, scientific uh, natural law which is forbidding a, a physical process from being longer than another one, uh, as long as they have the same causal uh, features, as long as they have the same causal properties. So, uh, to, 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 to cut a long story short, in, we can uh, introduce Instead of the uh, notion of the uh, uh, synchro synchronous environment, the notion of an extended environment, an extended physical environment. What is the extended physical environment? The extended physical environment is made by all those events that in my past have been the cause of some activity in my brain. I mean, the, the present is made by just a short span of physical events that took place only 200 milliseconds or, or something like that before of my neural activity. But they can imagine, in principle, to have um, far 
physical event still producing uh, an effect into my brain. I don't see any reason to rule out this possibility. If this were the case, we could explain normal perception, uh, not direct perception, this is a mistake, normal perception as when just the, let's say, the proximal events are the causes of my neural activity. We can also explain memory, visual imagery, and many other mental states like dreams as cases in which my environment is not made just by what is taking place in the uh, uh, temporal neighborhood of my neural activity, but what, is taking, what took place uh, during my lifetime. But things that are still producing an effect now in my brain. So to, to make it short, I'm suggesting that all these cases could be seen as cases of uh, perception. So that would be another unification of this approach. We could, uh, uh, um, in a way, model all kind of, uh, let's say, phenomenal experience as cases of perception. After all, let me add something. Uh, there is not a single evidence of phenomenal experience uh, autonomously and produced by the brain without a physical contact with uh, a, a real external uh, physical uh, events. This is a strong claim, but this is a claim that I'm ready to defend with the evidence on the literature. I mean, all the evidence about people that have been able to dream uh, something which they never get in contact with. I I'm not talking about a combination of uh, experiences. I'm talking about uh, a fundamental phenomenal content, like colors, like shape, like sounds, like tastes. Uh, there's not a single evidence in the literature of anyone being able, for example, take a born blind subject, being able to dream of color. All of the evidence I've been, I passed through the literature doesn't show anything like that. Even direct stimulation of, of Penfield, of uh, Britley, and all of that kind of with, the, with the blind does work only when the subject had some previous, uh, even for a short time, uh, actual experience with, with light and so on. So it seems that from a neuroscientific evidence, there's no such a thing as a, uh, an endogenously produced phenomenal content. So this would go in support of the fact that to have an experience of means to be continuous with the world. And to be continuous of the world maybe could be a matter of to be identical with the world by means of processes. And I mean, that's uh, all I wanted to say. So thank you very much.